Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. It's, uh, it is so good to be here and be with you guys. Wednesday night is one of my favorite uh, services or times that we have every week. My name is Bryson. Uh, if we have never met, I think I've met a lot of you guys before. Um, but I love Wednesday night, uh, whether you are here in person or you are joining us online like my family is. It is bedtime at the Breaky House for uh, our daughter. I wanted to show you my family uh, really quick. This is uh, my family. So that's me, my beautiful wife, Rachel, uh, and then my beautiful daughter, Olivia. Uh, and then you can see Rachel is holding her stomach because Olivia's going to be a big sister soon. And so that's exciting. Um, in April, we have a, a little one coming. And so we're really uh, just jazzed about that, jazzed about life. We're just, we're just loving parent life right now. It's, it's the best. Uh, and so whether you are here in person or you are online like my beautiful family is, uh, I think that we all share something. There has been a time in our lives that we have been disappointed. Have you ever been disappointed before? Like, you, you, you know, you raise your hand, nod your head, wink your eye, whatever you need to do, wiggle your finger. If you've ever, ever been disappointed, um, I, I know, just think about the last time you were truly disappointed. Um, for, for me, not the last time, but uh, a time I was truly disappointed was in going into the seventh grade. I did a lot of theater um, growing up, and so in elementary school, I, I was in just plays and musicals, and you know, as you do when you sort of, especially when you're really young and you have a little bit of success in something, I thought I was pretty hot stuff. You know, I, I was like, you know, got some leads, got some solos, I'm like coming into junior high hot. Uh, so we had junior high, not middle school. So sixth grade, you know, leaving sixth grade, going into seventh grade, uh, and it's the first musical, my debut in, at Paul's Bow Junior High, ready to tear it up, do auditions, and is the Wizard of Oz. And so I had already picked my part. I mean, I didn't need to audition. I already picked it, right? So I wanted to be the Scarecrow. The Scarecrow got a little humor, got his own song, you know, a, you know, a bigger part. And, and so I'm showing up. I kill the audition, obviously. Uh, and so I'm just slaying it. I'm killing it. And, and then I show up on the day that they post the cast list. And, and I go, okay, uh, going from the top, Dorothy, Tin Man, up Okay, okay, well, I didn't, not the scarecrow. Uh, I'm, I'm a wizard, maybe I'm the Wizard of Oz. And, and I get further than I'd like to, and then a little further than that, and it says, crow number three, Bryson Brakey. Crow number three. I had the role I wanted to play, but the director had another plan in mind. And I think this is where the disciples might find themselves in Matthew 10. You can turn your Bibles there. We have a, a little bit of a chunk of scripture, but like Pastor Dave said, this is Wednesday night where we like to go deep. We like to see what Jesus has to say. But while you're getting to Matthew 10, 
I just want to give you just a little bit of context for where we're at in the story, because that makes a big difference. You know that the Gospels, Matthew is a Gospel, it's a story of Jesus' time here on earth. And so you see, in Matthew 10, we've just gotten through two chapters of home runs by Jesus. I mean, like, boom, miracle, boom, healing, boom, sermon, boom. I mean, just, just think about this. In the last two chapters, Jesus cleanses a leper, heals a paralyzed servant, heals Peter sick mother-in-law, casts out demons, heals more people, calms a storm, expels demons from two men, heals a paralytic, raises a dead girl, heals a woman with the issue of blood, gives two blind men back their sight, heals a man that was mute, and then says, the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. And we know the disciples, like we see all through scripture, they're always having an argument you know about who's the greatest. You have James and John who them and their mom come, they use the mom power and say, hey, can my son sit on your left and your right in heaven? I mean, that's the kind of their MO. So I'm not trying to read things into the text, but we know these guys. And so, I mean, they're hanging out with Jesus and Jesus is just a rock star, healing people, walking on water, doing all this stuff. And then they hear there's a job opening. They're like, you know, the, the laborers are few, pray that people would come into the harvest. If I'm a disciple, I'm like, all right, hey, Jesus, I'm here. I got you. And so he starts to go into this pep talk, this, this little speech. And when you think about inspirational characters like Braveheart, right? William Wallace coming, or you have King Leonidas in 300, whatever this hero is with the mighty pep talk, you expect it to be something that says, storm the mountain, here we go, come on everybody. But Jesus' pep talk looks different. In Matthew 10, verses one for a little bit, it says this, and we're going to jump around just a little bit for the sake of brevity. It says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions, do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you've received, freely give. Pause. If I'm a disciple, I'm still feeling pretty good. It's like, all right, check, I got it. You gave me some authority, let's go tear some stuff up. We keep going. In verse 9, do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belt. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Verse 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Verse 22 says, you will be hated by everyone because of me, 
But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Verse 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Remember, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. For not two sparrows, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall on the ground beside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So this is kind of a, a cocktail of inspiring and difficult and confusing statements. On, on one hand, you're like, yeah, yeah. On the other, it's like, wait, flogging? Who said, who said something about flogging? Is that what I, clogging? Are we clogging or flogging? You know, it, it, there's these moments of like high highs and, and low lows, but however you slice it, this experience sounds pretty different from what they've been seeing in this last period of time, healing the sick, raising the dead, walking on water, all of these things. There's this dissonance between what they expected and what reality seems to be. There might be a level of disappointment, but it really begs the question, why would they say yes? Why would they say yes? Right now, everybody is hiring. It seems like there's a, you know, a job posting in every window that you go into as we're you know, coming out of the economic impacts of COVID in some ways, and you know, uh, people are kind of finding work and whatnot. And if I'm posting a job right now, I am not highlighting some of the things that Jesus is highlighting. Uh, you know, I, if I'm posting a job, I'm going to go ahead and like post all the perks and the benefits. I'm going to kind of, you know, downplay the, oh, I don't know, flogging. You know, so I, I'm kind of tearing it down. But let's just summarize really quick. He says in this, uh, just that chunk, he says, don't take anything with you that could help. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. You'll be handed over to councils to be flogged. Because of me, you'll be arrested. Family will betray you and each other. You'll be hated by everyone. You'll be persecuted. There is a cross, and you're going to need to take it up to follow me. And in order to really find your life, you're going to have to lose it. That's the pep talk Jesus chooses to give. So my question isn't so much why would Jesus give it, but why would they say yes? And really to take it a step further, we're being presented with the same message. Why would we say yes? If it's true that all of these might be part of the job description of a disciple, what on earth would make somebody say that sounds like a good idea. And I think in, in some ways, much like how it, it depends with so much of scripture, it depends on how you read it a little bit. Like, well, you can be looking at the same thing, and if you're only looking for the good, you gloss over the bad. 
right? So you go, I have authority, you know, Jesus is with me, he's going to speak through me, and some other stuff, and then we get, you know, whatever, it's kind of like the, the people, you know, you can be stoked about Philippians 4.13, about I can do all things through Christ, until you realize it's really kind of in the context of like shipwrecks, and like being super broke, and, and all that stuff, people really like, they want like the strength, but not the shipwreck, you know, is kind of like a, you find the good and you gloss over the bad, but sort of what that sets you up to do is, is really fizzle out when stuff starts to get tough. So it can't be that. But if you only look at the good, if you only look at the bad, though, you're never going to say yes in the first place. So there's nothing to fizzle out. So it can't be ignoring the good and only looking at the bad. So the question is, could there be a third way? Could it be that this passage isn't just about what's good and isn't just about what, what's bad, but could it be that if we sift through, we see that in the midst of Jesus' speech, he gives us a strategy of what it looks like to live on mission. He gives a strategy, principles like this, if you start to just sift through a couple of quick ones. One is start small. He says, just start by, by reaching the people around you. Keep it simple. He says, here's the simple message. The kingdom of God is near. Trust God. You're not going to bring all this extra stuff because God's going to supply. Find people to partner with you. Focus on what's working. Be wise and be gentle. You could keep on going. You could sift through this for the strategy that Jesus is giving, these methods that he's uh, giving, and you could keep on going. We could spend a whole series talking about the strategy that Jesus is presenting. Oh, and it's gold. I mean, it's good. Like when you, if you really apply the stuff, the method that Jesus is giving for evangelism and ministry, I mean, it is, it is powerful. And it's sometimes hard to translate some of these like ideas or concepts to today. So for me, what I do, I think a lot of times we, uh, we don't know the right answers because we're not asking the right questions. And so when it comes to how we live in our life, you know, there's not maybe a whole lot of like demon casting out opportunities. Um, it, maybe you are, if there are, maybe you need some more friends, you know, to kind of even that out so you're not always. Anyway, uh, you have uh, here he says, uh, you know, walks through all these stuff. I like to kind of turn them into questions a little bit. So when I'm walking through life, some questions that I pulled out and there's, there's many uh, when I walk into a situation, if I want to be living on mission, some questions I, I pulled out, what need can I meet? Okay, I can ask myself that. Who can I encourage? Okay. What bridge can I build? How can I bless someone? How can I speak truth? It says to be shrewd as a snake. How can I show kindness? It says to be gentle as a dove. How can I include the gospel in my conversations? And the one that's really been uh, helping me recently that I've been sort of uh, churning on daily in, in almost every situation is what would I do if I was a missionary right now? Like if I walked into this coffee shop and I was a missionary getting planted from some other nation saying, I'm gonna reach Nashville, how would I live differently? I, I would probably start trying to make a conversation with somebody, right? I, I would try, uh, try and make a connection. I would try and do some of the things that Jesus is saying, find people of peace, find people that I could partner with in uh, the gospel. I would try and, you know, be as gentle as a dove and as uh, truthful, as wise as a, as a snake is. I'd probably try and put some of these methods in place. What would I do if I was a missionary? You could go on 
looking at the strategy and the method of Jesus that he's presenting, and it's all really helpful, helpful for application, but does it answer the question? Why would they say yes? Because strategy is helpful. But I don't think I'm signing up for that because it's a good plan. I'm not signing up because it's good ideas. It is good ideas. Don't get me wrong. I mean, like, unbeatable. Jesus is the best evangelist ever. Like, if we're talking about good plans, it's about as good as it gets. But a good plan is not enough for me to want to risk my life. A good strategy is not enough for me to really want to, like, go in on all of this. I mean, Jesus, don't get me wrong. You got a good plan. But really, is it enough to say yes? Because I know if I'm being arrested for the gospel, I'm not looking for a playbook. If I'm getting disowned by my family for standing up for my faith, I'm not looking for a strategy. If I'm being uh, at my job, I'm not gonna get the promotion because I've been making a stand for Jesus. I'm not looking at my WWJD bracelet going, okay, what's the play? What's the plan? I'm not looking for strategy. I'm looking for power. I'm looking for hope. I'm looking for perseverance. I'm looking for help. And none of that comes from a strategy. It, it, it might be part of it, but it's not all of it. So if the question is, why would they say yes? It can't be because it was a good plan. When I took the SAT, I did it with no calculator. Now, before you're impressed, none of you are impressed, you're like, you're an idiot. Before you're impressed, I, I did it because uh, I lost my calculator on the way to the SAT. Um, so I was not super good at, uh, at math. Uh, I, I liked English, I liked the, the arts, I liked history, math was not my thing, and for some reason I was in a rush, uh, you know, I, I almost missed, I, I was running a little late, and I don't even know where it is to this day. The calculator fell out. Yeah, of the car, of my bag, or something, because we got to the math portion, they said, okay, pull out your calculator, and there was nothing, no calculator. So that was awesome. Um, sitting there, and you think you know what a cosine is until they ask you what it is. Um, it, you think you know like how to do all, all of the fancy things that a graphing calculator can do, um, but it, it's... I had the task in front of me, but I didn't have the resources to accomplish the task. Like I saw the problem, like I, th there was something being asked of me, but I didn't have the tools or, or what it took to, to accomplish that. I was kind of giving it my best guess. And I think sometimes when we think about living on mission, preaching the gospel, sharing Jesus with the people around us, we feel kind of like we're taking the SAT with no calculator. It's like, okay, I know, I see the problem, you're not following Jesus. I know the solution. You know, you're, you should follow Jesus, but I don't know how to fix what I see. Or, or okay, I know, you know, my, my brother really needs ministry. I know that my, my friend's marriage is falling apart. I know all of these things. But, but there's this disconnect sometimes. We feel like we know the problem, but we don't have the resource to meet it. Have you ever, uh, at your workplace, your boss has required something of you that they weren't willing to give you the resources to accomplish? Like, has, you know, anybody, amen, no, just me? I'm just kidding, my, 
boss is going to listen to this. So uh, anyway, if you've ever felt like that, this might be where you're sitting at this point. You hear, okay, there's this great strategy. Jesus has this plan. But how am I going to fulfill it? And I think that's what makes this commissioning different than a job description and different than just a pep talk. Because Jesus, when we read it, he gives us not only the method, but also the means to fulfill his mission. Jesus doesn't just give us the method, but he also gives us the means to fulfill his mission. He doesn't just give us the method, he gives us the means to fulfill his mission. It means that he's not just giving us the problem, he's giving us the calculator. Like, uh, it would be one thing if he was just giving us a really good plan and we could just go run the plan, but it's more than that. He's not just giving us the method, he's giving us the means. I would actually like to put it this way, that he's giving us more than just his strategy, he's giving us his spirit. That he's not offering us a playbook of if you go do this, you're gonna change the world. He, he says, yeah, here's a strategy, but I'm gonna give it the best partner ever. I'm gonna give it my spirit because when we follow Jesus' method, using Jesus' means, Jesus' mission cannot be stopped. It, it, like if you look at it, if you really look at it in verse one, he, he gives authority. We've been given authority over sickness and demons. Did you know that wherever you walk, if you're a child of God, you have authority over darkness? That when you walk into a situation the same as there is the law, but there can still be outlaws, when, when the enemy can operate in a situation trying to convince somebody that he still has power, like it's this nail biter between him and God, it's a 50-50, who knows how it's gonna go? No, 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 you have authority to say, hey, uh, Satan, I read the book and you lost. Like you're actually acting out of order right now. You've been given authority in the spiritual realm. It says in 11 and 12, God's already planted people in your life to help you live for God. You don't have to do this by yourself. He's not just giving you a strategy. He's giving you his spirit, not just a method, but he's giving you the means. It says in 19 that God will be with you and give you words when you need them. You're not walking in with no calculator. He's already given you the answer to the problem that when you see in a situation that you need something to say, God's got your back. In verse 28, it says that God will protect you and sustain you, that no harm is going to come to you even when harm comes to you, that even though uh, things can affect your body, they cannot kill your spirit. I love this one. In verse 32, he says, when, I, when you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my father. I'll tell you as a dad, it takes so little for me to be proud. It takes so little. Olivia said what well, we're claiming as her first real word yesterday, she said gorilla-ish. Like she said, orilla and we were like, oh my gosh, like, she's a genius. She's a genius. And not to make light of it, but I think that our Heavenly Father is so similar in that he sees us do something so small, but when we do it for Jesus, Jesus is up there saying, God, did you see that? Father, did you see your kid down there? Did you see that? And we go, but I was just having a friend over for dinner and I talked about my story. I talked about, uh, I talked about God and my relationship. And Jesus is like, God, did you see that? Heavenly Father, did you see your kid down there killing the game? Did you see when he shared his testimony with his coworker? Did you see that? That's incredible. And God the Father's like, that's incredible. He says, when you acknowledge me, I acknowledge you. You're something worth talking about. Family, you're something worth talking about. The little things you do 
make a big difference. Jesus is not only giving us the method, but he's also giving us the means to fulfill his mission. And I think we often lean towards one or the other. If we have the method or we have the means, we think we might not need the other one. We say, I got the best strategy ever. I got the strategy so good that if I just run the playbook, folks are going to get saved. I show up with a God test, a one-to-one. I read my purple book. I did my Bible, all that stuff. I got this, bro. Or, or, you know, so you have that, or you might have on the other side, you know, hey, all I need is the Holy Ghost. I'm just going to go blow some stuff up for Jesus. You know, like you just show up and you say, as long as I got the Holy Ghost, I'm going to be all right. And I think if you really like want to make it like something explode for Jesus, it's sort of like a, a vinegar and baking soda situation. You know, like if you have all baking soda, all strategy, you're just going to kind of sit there and kind of, you know, everything's going to be hypothetical. And if you have all vinegar, yeah, you might you run around, but it's not really going to get what you want. But when you put the two together and you have Jesus' method in one hand and Jesus' means in the other, Jesus is saying, hey, we could really do something powerful here. Yes. Ask yourself, which one do you lean towards? Do you, if it's on a fence and you sit on one side, which do you fall onto? Do you say, hey, as long as I got the Holy Ghost, I'm going to be all right. I'm just going to start blowing stuff up. Or do you say, if we just plan a little bit longer, if we just listen to another podcast, if we just read another leadership book, if we just, you know, plan, I'm planting seeds, which do you lean towards? Jesus isn't sending you out into the world with just good ideas. He's sending you out with his spirit. But my question remains, why would they say yes? It's exciting, right? Authority, power, storm the mountain, it's scary, right? You know, uh, there's a lot that could go wrong. There's this strategy element of there's this plan, we got this playbook, but I don't know if it fully gives me a sufficient answer of why would they say yes? And I think it's a little bit of a trick question. The clue for me, I believe, as it often is, is in the context. Because they had months, if not years at this point, of watching Jesus listen to the Father. They had months, if not years, of watching miracles happen. They had months, if not years, of seeing people come to follow Jesus. I believe, and I would propose to you, that they said yes to Jesus because they had walked with Jesus. When we walk with Jesus, we realize that the things that we used to think were impossible are actually possible. When we walk with Jesus and we realize things that we never thought could happen can actually happen, when we walk with Jesus and we realize that a God who we used to think was just so distant actually wants to speak to us and speak about our lives, when we walk with Jesus, things change. It wasn't just about what he said at this point then, it's about who he is. When you walk with Jesus, the impossible becomes possible. 
What would happen if we were people who spent so much time in the word reminding ourselves that miracles are possible that they started to break out in our lives? What would happen if we were people of prayer to the point that we heard God every day? What would happen? What would our family look like? What would your workplace look like? What would your friendships look like? Your relationships look like? If that was the life we lived. In John 15, it talks about abiding in God and he in you. And it talks specifically about his word in you. And that that actually produces fruit, not just fruit outwardly, but fruit of the spirit as well, that your life starts to change and it starts to change the lives of others. What would happen if we were people that walked with Jesus? Because I think if we walk with Jesus, that answer becomes a lot easier. Because we realize, yeah, it's going to be hard. But he's with us. We realize, yeah, it might have some negative implications, but it's going to be all right. Because people might be able to hurt my body, but they can't hurt my soul. There might be ramifications of my actions, but I know that the cost that I'm going to be asked to pay is so much lower than the cost of if I don't. Because I know anything Jesus is asking me to give is nothing compared to what he gave for me. Anything that's gonna be required of me is so much less than what the stakes are at. If I don't act, that's why we read the Bible. Because you can't sound like him if you don't know what he sounds like. That's why we spend time in prayer, because you can't talk like Jesus if you don't talk to Jesus. You don't know what he's saying unless you know what he said. That's why we spend time with God, not because of routine, not just because your alarm goes off, not because you feel bad that you don't, not because you hear it's the right thing to do, but we do that because when we walk with Jesus, lives change. When we walk with Jesus, we don't go into coffee shops the same. When we walk with Jesus, we don't go into parent-teacher conferences the same. When we walk with Jesus, we don't walk around our neighborhood the same. When we walk with Jesus, we don't walk into new friendships and relationships, having people over for dinner, having people in the back to grill. We don't do it the same when we walk with Jesus. When you live this life, yes, this commissioning sounds hard, but not too hard for God. When you live this life, your coworkers get saved. When you live this life, your family is healed. Addictions are broken. Demons are cast out. Dead people come to life. Spirits are restored. People who are walking in darkness start walking in the light. When you live this life, things change. Let's be people who walk with Jesus for the sake of those around us, for the sake of the world. Let's pray. Jesus, help us say yes to you. God, help us be people who walk with you. And Father, we do come tonight, God, repentant of the times that we've uh, chosen to, to, to treat you just like an option, to treat you as a choice of will I follow you or, or will I do my own thing today? God, we come and we give you a fresh yes 
saying we're going to choose your way. Yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, it's going to be difficult. Yes, there's going to be implications, but we know that the, the, the gain is so much better than anything we're going to lose. And if you're for us, who can be against us? God, help us have a fresh vision, a fresh fire for spending time with you, a fresh fire for spending time in your word. God, a fresh fire for prayer, a fresh fire for walking with Jesus so that when you call us to something hard, our answer is the same as the disciples. Thank God, send us. God will go. We give you our yes today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.